is that um, teaching and teaching fel in fellowship or teaching of any kind, um, I've always I've tried to you know I've tried to make it not an academic endeavor, if you know what I'm saying. Um, I'd like to say that you know teaching God's word, uh, you can certainly make it an academic endeavor. You can say you know well let's look at all the so and so lists of this and figures here and do all this and just do it in a way that you learn something and you go home, well, it's kind of nice. But the whole point of fellowship, you know, um, and the whole point of going to God's Word, whatever topic we study, is so that we can walk with God. So we can walk in God's power to see His blessings, to see His power work. I fully expect you know, what we read in God's Word to come to pass in our lives. And I never, ever stop expecting that. Neither should any one of us. And I know you, I know you don't. Right? The whole point of it is not to go to the Word of God to say, well, you know, now I can tell you the 12 figures in, you know, Second Samuel 87, which doesn't exist, you know, um, you know or, or to say whatever. It, the idea is to walk with Him so that we trust Him and that we know Him and that we have confidence to walk with Him. And so when we, have, we come across situations, and I, and I pray and think that we should expect to come across situations more and more where we can bring deliverance to people's lives. Uh, seek out those situations because we have been empowered with so much, you know, to know, to know so much of God's Word. So, you know, never treat this time, this is not like the Lions Club or, you know, or some other club we go to and, the idea is to know God better, and if the teaching here doesn't accomplish that, then we've failed in our, you know, in, in our fellowship. So, I just wanted to say that that the idea is, you know, we're we're going to start Ephesians today, and I, I was thinking about that, not just so we say, okay, now we know another book, <laughs> great. The whole point is so we can understand exactly what did God write, and I don't mean everything, obviously, but you know, some more about what God wrote there for his people so that they can know him better and walk with him you know and understand um, exactly what's written and, you know and um, I'll have to say thank you to John Hoves because when he was here he took me aside and said when you're teaching especially on the phone lines speak slowly so I wrote my notes here saying right at the at the uh, subject of the the teaching speak slowly <laughs> so John there you go John I've taken your advice so if I if I don't accomplish it you can send me an email saying well I gave you advice but you really didn't listen to me <laughs> I'll do my best um, the best way to start with Ephesians um, is to do a summary of Romans and that's what we're going to do today a quick summary <laughs> obviously we're not going to look at all of Romans but um, we understand that God's word is profitable for doctrine, reproof, and correction. We we under, you know, we've known that truth for years. Um, doctrine, how to believe Him, you know, and, and reproof where we're not believing rightly, and correction to get back to that right believing. And then you know we've we've also understood that there are th mainly three doctrinal books in the seven church epistles. That's Romans, Ephesians, and Thessalonians. And that is not to say that there is no doctrine in Corinthians or Galatians, Philippians or Colossians. There is a lot of doctrine. We don't want to apply this truth too strictly. 
in fact, everything we learn about the manifestations pretty much comes out of 1 Corinthians, which is a reproof epistle. So it's not that you can't have doctrine. It's just the way God designed the seven church epistles, the all truth that Jesus Christ said that the Spirit would lead them into is that Ephesians builds on the truths in Romans and then Thessalonians builds on top of that. So in order to really understand the truths that are in Ephesians, we have to have an understanding of what Romans says. Because if we're struggling with the Romans truths, it's very hard to get to understand all that God has written for us in the book of Ephesians. Um, in Romans, you know, we did this a couple of years ago now. We did, we did, we did go over Romans in some detail. Um, we learned about the... Um, let's go to Romans chapter 1. We'll start there just to get um, climatized. Romans chapter 1. In Romans, there's a whole section that deals with the sins of man. And then there's a whole section that deals with the sin of man. We saw that division of sins, which is the fruit of that sin nature that came from Adam. Right? And then in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, a key verse in that epistle, For therein the gospel of God is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith or by believing. And again, the book talks about the righteousness of God. Now again, that's a very, very basic, simple truth for every believer to understand. You know, I was talking about how this is not academic. I mean, if, if you and I have a problem with condemnation in our lives, we will have a real hard time walking with God. Right? It's very hard. It's like, you know, a kid breaks a, a window. He's not going to ask his dad to borrow the car keys that day. Probably going to wait a couple of days until his dad's forgotten about the broken window, or he's forgotten about the guilt that he's feeling as a result of breaking it. Right? Condemnation is is a is a it's a horrible thing in life, and that's why you know why would God have a whole epistle pretty much designed to talking about His righteousness, not our right, but His righteousness, God's righteousness as opposed to the righteousness of man. We learn about everybody's needs for righteousness, whether they were Jews or Gentiles or, or indeed the whole world. And then in Romans, we learn about the wrath of God that is going to come on all ungodliness. The whole section about that, about people who didn't glorify God, wouldn't glorify Him, weren't thankful for Him. And in fact, which is sick, they started worshipping that over which God had given them dominion, which is completely twisting what God had designed for man. Um, in Romans chapter 2. You know, Romans then deals about the utter hopelessness of man. You know, they're utterly hopeless. There was no one that could do good. There was no one. Right? There was none righteous. In Romans 2.16 it says, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So all man would be judged according to the gospel. And the, the foundation of that gospel is the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? We learned a little bit about that last week too, about how Jesus Christ is foundational. All mankind must accept the Lord Jesus Christ. He is, you know, and again, as believers sometimes, you know, you hear a lot in the news, you hear a lot of people talking all the time. Sometimes 
you know, we forget there's only one solution <laughs> to all of man's problems, Jesus Christ. Uh, I read once, I think, it, I, I can't remember who said this, but it was talking about the answer to, I think it's uh, Kenyon, the answer to all philosophy is Jesus Christ. There are no other, you know, Kant and Freud and all these philosophical uh, ways of thinking out there. You know, they have their own ways of looking at the world. But they all go around the problems and try to come up with their own solution when the only solution to all philosophy is Jesus Christ. That is the solution. And if we ever talked out of that in our lives, you know, that, that's a horrible thing. When, when we're dealing with people in the world, we need to keep very front and center the solutions to marital problems, you know, education problems, obedience problems, sin, sickness, disease is Jesus Christ. And that's what God tries to point out in Romans. Look, everybody's on the equal footing. There's one solution to all their problems. That is Jesus Christ. That's Romans. And as anything else falls outside of what we don't understand, the Bible says that he's a just God and he will decide. It's up to him. In Romans 2.25, For circumcision verily profiteth, if thou keep the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee who by the letter and circumcision dost transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God." See, we learn in Romans that no external actions, no external markings, no amount of boasting of any kind of pedigree, doesn't matter where you come from, who you, who you know, where you were born, what family you belong to, none of that can guarantee a spiritual relationship with God. And people, you know, in this case, this section that was addressed to the Judeans, that was their big claim to fame. You know, we're God's chosen, we're the ones. And God says, you know what? Equal footing. Does not matter. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 sums it up nicely. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. All under sin, no exceptions. And then comes that great section which I personally like to call in Romans the breath of fresh air. You know, Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3 kind of say, man, God says to man, okay, look. Judean, Gentile, there you go, equal footing, not one, none righteous. And so, you know, at that point, you close the book and kind of go home feeling pretty bad. <laughs> Except when you get to Romans chapter 3, verse 20. You know, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin, verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, unless we had forgotten that in a few verses back. Verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You know, and, and that's where in Romans chapter 1, where God says in the gospel of Romans is revealed the righteousness of God, 
There it is. It's revealed. A righteousness without works, nothing you and I did to achieve it, but what Jesus Christ did. You know, if we don't get that straight, you know, when we get to Ephesians and talk about the one body and all spiritual blessings, it just seems a little bit too heady to really understand. If we're still struggling, well, am I good enough? Do I do the right things? Or am I, you know, am I, am I doing enough? You know, does God really approve of me? If, I'm, if I have problems with those areas, which is what Romans deals with, God says, look, you're all in the same place. Just, you know, forget about it. Look at my son. It's His righteousness that I want you to think about. And it's His righteousness that I have given to you when you believe on His name. Right? Our full acceptance before God is rooted in the work of Jesus Christ. Man can never comprehend the enormity of Christ's work if he believes that there is even a slight hope in himself. Right? If you and I think that, well, you know, I'm, I'm innately I'm a good person. There's something good in me that I can, you know, I can really... We're never going to understand what Jesus Christ did for us until we all understand where we were. If we still think that we can have a little bit of Babel in us, right? we're never going to understand. We don't live in Babel anymore because of what Jesus Christ did. Right? We're gone. That's, that's, that's a thing of the past. We're now looking at Christ and all that He's done. Romans 3.25 Whom God had set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. Talking about the Lord to declare His righteousness. You know how many times? Time and time again. His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. And that was that great word we learned about. Propitiation is the mercy seat. Remember in the Old Testament? The mercy seat? It was the place in the holiest of holies inside the temple, the tabernacle, where they had the two um, cherubims, right? The cherubims were facing each other, and in the middle was the mercy seat. And it was here that the blood was poured out for uh, the sins of the people. And it says here in Jesus, it says in in, uh, here in Romans, Jesus Christ is our mercy seat. Right? It's His blood that was spilled for us for the forgiveness and remission of sins. And it was His blood and His His sacrifice that was a full payment for all. Right? So He is the mercy seat, as opposed to the whole you know the priest going in every year and going through that thing every year. He did it once and for all. In Romans 3.26, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, <laughs> that He might be the just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. You know, for, for Abraham in, in, in uh, Genesis, God provided a ram. Remember that? God provided a ram for Abraham. For us, He has provided Jesus Christ. Uh, and now we're righteous on, on all the accomplished work of Jesus Christ, not leaving any room for any man to boast, but in one thing, which is in the gracious glory of the Lord alone. Right? You know, if we're still boasting in the things that we do and the works that we do, we'll never understand Ephesians ground. Right? So these, some of these truths we're just looking at very briefly today, we've got to keep them in the back of our mind as we start going into the all spiritual blessings of Ephesians we're going to get to in a few weeks. Right? Just that you know, if we're still struggling with this, we go back to Romans, okay, read it and read it and read it until it's in our mind that, okay, I am righteous. I am righteous because of the work of Jesus Christ. Full price paid for me. I don't have to deal with that anymore. It's done. Now, where can I go that I believe and accept that? Romans chapter 4, verse 11. And we also saw that the law and the prophets and Psalms all spoke 
about a righteousness that was to come that was not based on works. Verse 11, And he received the sign of circumcision. This is Abraham. A seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, yet being uncircumcised. So it wasn't about the flesh. It was about his believing. That he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, the righteousness, righteousness might be imputed unto them also. Then in verse 20, He, Abraham, staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in believing, giving glory to God. And I mean, Abraham is a great example. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. What a great truth. You know, I know we're, we're, we're praying today about healing and deliverance and all these. There's a great truth to keep in mind, you know. God can do what He says He can do. What a, what a simple truth to keep in mind. If God says He can do it, He can do it. Right? That's what Abraham believed. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, now it was not written for His sake alone that it was imputed to Him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. And then Romans 5.11 in the next chapter concludes that section in Romans that's talking about the sins of mankind. We see how through the work of Christ we have peace, access by faith and the ability to stand in the grace and to rejoice in the hope of the coming of Jesus Christ. Now that God had dealt with sin, sins, so to speak, sins, the fruit of the sin nature in the first five chapters roughly of Romans, the rest of the doctrinal section which goes from 5.11 to 8, the end of chapter 8, which is what we covered, deals with sin, the sin nature of Adam. First he deals with the sins of man then he deals with that sin nature, the, the sin of Adam. Where we saw that Adam is revealed as the reason for the sin. Here we learned that not only does no one do good, but no one is good. Right? There's a difference. Now first, you know, God deals with people and the acts of people and the things they do. He says, no one's doing anything right. And now he says no one is right. It's a big difference, a big change in, Rome, in the second part of Romans. We learn about that there is no good thing in the flesh. That by the flesh we cannot please God. And not only is it about substitution, where Jesus Christ took our place, the, you know, the propitiation, the payment, where God says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay for all this by giving my son. Not only is it about substitution, God now reveals to us identification. You see the change from the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ now to how we can identify with all that he has done. So the next parts of Romans starts to really build on our identification with Jesus Christ. You know, God takes it one step at a time. You know, he deals with man, says, okay, no one good. No, you know, just, just forget all that stuff. I've given you a righteousness. Then he says, okay, you can't do good. right? But now I will let you identify with my son, Jesus Christ. And now look at all the blessings that you have access to. Romans 5, 15, we learned about Adam. 
versus the work of Jesus Christ. Adam caused the fall of mankind by one pretty, you know, bad act. Well, Jesus Christ, the one righteous, has the one righteous act versus Adam's fall. We saw Adam brought death, Christ brought life. Adam brought condemnation, Christ brought righteousness and justification. Adam brought was disobedient, Christ was obedient. You see the two uh, uh, compared in, in, in Romans. In Adam we fell, in Christ we stand. In Adam dead in trespasses and sins, in Christ reigning in life, righteous, sanctified, and redeemed. Romans 5.15 But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ hath abounded unto many. And verse 21, that a sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Right, so we saw the wonderful work of Jesus Christ to, to not only um, undo all Adam had done, but to put us even on a greater footing than Adam had ever been on. In Romans chapter 6, verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism. You see, so you start seeing the truths about identification then. Buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Died with him, buried with him, raised with him, and seated to walk in newness of life. Of life, really hard to understand that if all we're ever worried about are the things that we do or have done, or isn't it? But slowly, you know, God takes man slowly, 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 and builds all that Jesus Christ means to him. And how do we obtain this? Well, really complicated formula God gives to us in Romans chapter six. The first command that God gives man to do, Romans six eleven. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Very simple. Reckon ourselves dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Accept what has been done for us in Jesus Christ. The reign of sin and death is over because death has no more dominion over him and because we can identify with him guess what we can identify with that it has no more dominion over us sin and death has no more dominion over us we don't live there anymore because of the work of jesus christ you see it's not some kind of academic thing you can live life without a sin consciousness every day you can go to work or be or stay at home whatever you do and be thankful that you have been accepted right You've, you've done the one thing that God wanted all mankind to do. <laughs> Accept His Son. And guess what? You've been accepted. You don't have to deal with all those feelings of you know, incompetency or, or whatever it is in life. Sin, It's done. It's a done deal. What freedom that gives to every believer, right? We are free now because of what Jesus Christ to serve 
and not to use grace as a reason for lasciviousness or an occasion to the flesh, but by love to serve. And we can do away with any kind of introspective analysis of ourselves and looking within us and saying, you know, well, there's just still one thing I could change to make it better. No, right? By grace, be free to serve. So, you know, you know, grace is a wonderful thing that God set up for man. He didn't set it up so that you can say, well, it's just grace. Don't worry about it. That's not why he set it up. He knows we are going to make mistakes, right? Guaranteed. You know, I can, I can, I'm the biggest mistake maker of them all. I guarantee, you know, I speak for myself. You know, we are going to make mistakes. He knew that. God knew that. So he gave man grace. Why? So that when, so that I can purposely go out and make mistakes? No. It's because when we're serving and we happen to not do something right or something just doesn't go right, God says, okay, it's okay. Keep serving. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace will deal with that. That's why there's freedom to serve because you're not always on some tightrope trying, oh, if I do this wrong, the heck with it. Serve with, with confidence. Serve with the freedom of Christ in you. And if something goes wrong, God's grace is there to pick you up, so to speak, and to take care of you. Grace is, is freedom to serve. Even Paul said, because of grace, he worked really hard. Right? Did Paul make mistakes? I think so. Did David make mistakes? I think so. Right? Yet, a heart for God, a heart to serve. And that's the freedom that Jesus Christ gave us by what He's done. God gave us two moles, and you know, a lot in Romans, but to choose from. You can choose to walk like Adam, or you can choose to walk like Jesus Christ. Israel, in the Old Testament, even though God said, here's the promised land, a land that flows with milk and honey, they got to a point where they actually said, Egypt was the land of milk and honey. They still wanted to go back to that which God had taken them out. They totally changed that which God had said. Right? And that's our choice. We can go back to Adam, or we can keep looking at Christ. And you know, we'll see in Ephesians more about that. Where God has put him, what he's looked, taken us to look at. And then Paul, you know, in Philippians and Colossians, was still reaching forward to that prize of the high calling. Right? We'll see that. The prize, the high calling, and all that means very little if all I'm worried about is, you know, oh, you know, but I'm still, but I still have this problem, but I'm still, but I'm, you know, all those things, it's very hard to see it, you know, so that's why it's really important for us to accept this. Your members show you what you are serving, and you know, we learned this year, this summer, and those of us who went to family camp or heard the teachings about that holy life, right, and how it's indicative of that what you are, you know, and Romans talks about that, how now... You got that, so live holy. That's what God has called us to. Romans chapter 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Right. <laughs> Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. And in verse 13, Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin that it might appear sin working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. You know, so then, you know, the natural questions that were asked was, well, was, did the law fail? Was the law a failure? You know, is that what, you know, that's what, that's what, so Paul, Paul, in fact, he himself said that well, he was blameless, right? He was blameless to the outward appearances of, of, of the law, 
But when it came to actual desire, he was slain. He says, sin revived and he died. Right? He understood the pull of sin. It was just not about the letter of the law. It was about the heart. Same as the, you know, same as the Israelites. It wasn't just about being circumcised. Right? It was never that. Right? Although they thought it was. So Paul understood that. The law could not produce holiness. That's why deliverance was required. The law was not evil because it was made for the protection and blessing of man. The law is holy and just and good. The true self wants to keep the law of the Spirit and life in Christ Jesus, but there's another law that is struggling within man. And all attempts for man to change that old man nature are futile, right? Un impossible to change. The new man needs no changing, and the old man can't be changed, right? So we'll keep that straight. It's very, very simple. So the freedom of will is extremely vital in our walk with God. We see that in Romans as well, right? Obedience to all that God has done must be by free choice, right? God cannot, you know, or no one can, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of, punish you into obedience, right? It's got to be by freedom of will. To say that we love God and don't obey Him is hypocrisy. And to, to, to obey without loving Him is slavery. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be a slave. But to love Him and to serve with freedom is the greatest blessing. You know, Paul even said it. You know, the best freedom in life is to be a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. No one understands that until we understand the grace and blessing that God has brought upon man by the work of Jesus Christ. And that gives us great freedom to serve. And then, you know, you get to the pinnacle in Romans chapter 1, chapter 8. After all those chapters, Romans 1 through 7, and we've just hit, you know, a few brief points along the way. We, you know, and what does he deal with? He deals with righteousness. For therein, God says in Romans, is the righteousness of God revealed. He talks about his righteousness, not man's. He goes over all those truths to say, to sum it up in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. And you know, if God spends that much time talking about it, this, it must be a real problem, right? And so we need to be really careful in our lives to not ever allow it to creep into our lives. You know, a lot of times it creeps in because somebody says something to you, you know. Somebody says, well, you know, are you reading your Bible enough? How, I've never seen you pray. How come you don't do this? How come, you know, you don't do that? You know, I don't need that, right? I need to be told what Jesus Christ has done for me. I am very well aware of my shortcomings. Right? I can give you the best list. Actually, the list will be a lot longer than you probably think. Right? Please don't feel like you need to add to it. Right? <laughs> but you know, so God keeps pointing out His righteousness. He's the mercy seat. I paid for you. Now just look at Him and look at where He is and what I did with Him Reckon your other self to be dead and recognize that you are now Him. Now you live, not because of you, but Christ lives in you. Right? He tells you to keep looking at that, keep looking at that, and then after all, He still reminds you, by the way, there is no condemnation to you. Right? Just in case you want, it creeps right back in. Right? 
Romans chapter 8, verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. But they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You could stop reading there, but you've got to read the next verse. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You know The exhortation here in Romans chapter 8, it's not about you, it is about Jesus Christ. Christ and all that he's done and despite all the groaning and it talks about that in Romans chapter 8 right, despite all the groaning that must go on in the world we are to walk by the spirit we're not to deal with and concentrate on the groaning that is going to happen because it says it's going to happen you know until the full salvation when the Lord returns it's still going to happen right so we don't concentrate on that we concentrate on walking by the Spirit and all that He has made us to be in Christ Jesus, right? To put on the mind of Christ so we're conformed to all that He has done, right? And God's great promise, you know, closing out this doctrinal section of Romans, His great promise to man is that because through all this, all these things, that God has mentioned, if He is with us right, through all this, which means, which implies to me that it's not always easy. He says that nothing can be against us as long as He is with us through that process. Nothing can be against us. You know, people might make a list, and you might you know, make your own list of all the things that are against you. But if if God is on the side that says He's for you then all the other things, the other side of the list, don't amount to anything, right? It doesn't matter, because if He's with us, nothing can be against us. And, you know, we close out this section in Romans chapter 8 with verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God is not going to be against us because he had his son die for us. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God? To let? You see how much there is in Romans about people trying to accuse the believer, to make you feel condemned, to make you feel unrighteous. There's a lot in there. Right? Even here in this closing out section, he says, who's going to lay anything to your charge? Right? Does that mean that no one will try? No. It's going to happen to you, right? You know, you were sick. You're a believer. How come you got sick? How come you're not delivered? You know, how come you haven't done this? How come you aren't this place? How come you aren't that way? You know, I, I want to respond by saying, how come you don't shut up? Right? Whoever that is talking to me, right? You know, at that mind, I mean, we have to be so acclimatized in our mind to go exactly right back to what we are in Christ Jesus and all that He's accomplished.
to put up against you know what might seem like a little tiny little comment, but boy, a little comment like that, we, we you know we've called them fiery darts, can bring you right down, right down to back where Adam was. If we don't have our mind fully fixed on what God's word says. So here God tells us, look, who can be against you? Don't you understand? that I'm not against you, the Lord's not against you, we're on your side, so it doesn't matter who's on the other side. Don't you ever let anybody say that they're against you and, ha- and that have some impact on your thinking. Verse 34. Sorry, 33. Who shall lay anything to charge of God's elect? God that justifieth? No, he's the justifier. Who is he that condemneth? Christ that died? How, how, why is he going to about the after he just went through all this? Condemn you. Nonsense. Yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Right? He's not condemning you. He's making intercession. Big difference. Right? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, you know, again, there's a nice wonderful list here, or distress, And if you can think of anything that falls outside this list, I challenge you to come up with something that falls outside this list that is about to attack you. Tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. You know, we're just little sheep being slaughtered every day. You know, so just, you know, give up and get killed. No! 37, no, don't do that. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded. For I am persuaded. It takes time to get persuaded. But I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. You You see how the list is pretty complete. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature. I remember Peter, when you taught Romans, Peter shared, you know, that means anything in God's creation, including you yourself, right? (laughs) Remember you looked at that? You know, nothing. So basically, I was pretty safe in saying there's nothing in this list because that's pretty much all-encompassing, right? Nothing, anything in all of God's creation can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, what a wonderful way for God to close out this doctrinal presentation that he makes to man. No condemnation, not from God, not from the Lord Jesus Christ. More than conquerors through him that loved us, no condemnation and no separation, nothing in death, nothing in life, nothing among the ranks of devil spirits, nothing in time or space, and nothing in all of God's creation could undo what he's done or separate us from his love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord so that we may boldly say and close in Romans chapter 11. It's a wonderful statement in Romans chapter 11. Verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord or hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. And it is on this, you know, briefly look that we've had 
on what might be known as the foundation of the Magna Carta, right? For the Christian, for the believer that, we, that is called Romans, that we're going to begin over the next few weeks, however long it takes, to consider the great truths of Ephesians. But we must never forget that all that teaching is based on understanding, you know, what God accomplished for us, not just in the substitution, but in the identification and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who raises up on high to seat him at his right hand. So, I thought it would be, or in order to do a brief review of Romans this week, and we'll start into Ephesians next week.